I was going to explain to everyone what you did for a living, and then I thought, holy jeez, I can't do that. I'm going to let you explain what it is <laughs> Eric Alper does for a living. I am a music publicist, which means that I am the liaison between the artist and the media outlet. So I work with the artists on everything from writing bios to writing press releases working with them, coming up with the best photos to use for the media and general public. Then I go out to the media with the press release for interviews, for previews of shows, for album or single or video reviews, and just generally help them get noticed in the media. How did you come to this job? Is there a course you can take on how to do this? Yeah, somebody locked me in a closet for about four months and said, you will not come out until... No, um, there's, there's a number of, of public relations courses that are right across universities and colleges, but I didn't take any of them. Um, I, was, I, I come at it still, even after 25 years of doing this, as a music fan, first and foremost. I was always a fan of music. I remember when I was eight years old, I saw the movie called American Hot Wax, which told the story of the Cleveland DJ Alan Freed. The movie had a lot of fictional characters in it, but it, it ended with the first rock and roll concert with the real life Gary Lee Lewis and Chuck Berry on the screen. And it blew me away. And I knew I wanted to be part of this world. It's like how sometimes people will talk about the first time that they see Star Wars and they become sci-fi fans for life. Or when they first saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show, people like Tom Petty, Ian Hunter, and all of these artists said, that's what I want to do. Um, I kind of had that same moment. So I went to university for English and Mass Communications, which allowed me to read a book and read a lot of books, but I was more interested in the theory of music. I wanted to know why certain songs work. Not necessarily technical, but what was happening so, um, you know, in society, what was happening with the economy, what was happening racially, what was happening with the technology that allowed people to create the songs that they were. What were the stories behind the writing of the song and why it worked in one and, and why another song didn't work. And more importantly, who were the people that worked to get that song out there? When I got a subscription of Billboard magazine as a teenager, it really wasn't about reading and memorizing the chart, although I kind of did that. But it was about the news stories about this booking agent or that manager and what was the marketing plan behind this album rollout. And I loved that. And it wasn't about manipulating the general public. It wasn't about fooling people or anything like that. It was just a part of the world that taught me more about the world around me than any other subject matter. When I graduated from university, I went to York University here in Toronto. I started a record label. That led to a booking agency. And then I dropped all of it because I really wanted to just stay with publicity. But I had my hand in a lot of different things during university. I wrote for the campus newspapers. I had a radio show on CHRY, which nobody listened to. It was like Tuesday at 3 o'clock in the morning. I used to give away $1,000 on the air if anybody called in. Nobody ever did. But it was amazing because I got to stink and I got to 
suck really badly and make all sorts of mistakes away from the general public. Look, 25 years later, I'm still making mistakes, but everybody does. You just try to continue to work with the passion that you have. And I know I'm one of the lucky ones that I got to do exactly what I wanted to do and have done for more than half my life. You're independent, right? Yeah, I was working at a company called Koch, which was the largest independent distributor in the world. I was working for their Canadian division doing the publicity because a lot of the labels that they were distributing, meaning they would put the records or CDs or tapes from the warehouse to the record store, all of the labels were American-based, and they didn't really care so much about Canada. I mean, we were worth 4% of the world market to them. So they hired me to work all the American and UK labels uh, and Canadian labels that we were distributing. Actually, it was one of the first music distributors ever to have a publicist on board. So whenever the artists came into town, they knew that they would actually be work thus selling more records into the record store. And I did that for 18 years and went off on my own five years this summer with my own company. This is how you came to get Canadian labels like Stony Plain and True North, labels that I'm very familiar with. A lot of the time when I left Koch and then Entertainment One, Entertainment One bought Koch. Um, when I left, um, I, I called a lot of the people I was working for and with and said, hey, I'm going off on my own. I knew within an hour that I wasn't going to be stuck. Uh, this is what I was going to do. I don't know who, we, who I'm going to work, but if you want to talk, let me know. And, and fortunately, a lot of the artists and a lot of the labels that I was working with kept working with me on it. So that's how I got to work with people like Sue Foley and Colin James and Maureen McLaughlin and Bruce Coburn and Randy Bachman and Buffy St. Marie. Steve Mariner, Monkey Junk, among others as well. I'm still working with still to this day. You send a lot of music to me to play on the air, right? I do. Well, a lot compared to what's out there in the world, no. A lot when it comes to, I think, your specific show. Yeah, you know, a, a, a couple of hours ago, the Juno nominations came out. For the fifth year in a row, I'm working three of the five artists that are nominated in the blues category. People like you are extremely important to my happiness. <laughs> okay. uh, do you want to tell us who they are? I didn't, I didn't anticipate yeah. this. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Sue Foley got nominated for her album, Pinky's Blues. Colin James got nominated for his album, Open Road. And Steve Mariner got a nomination for his album as well. Oh, excellent. Oh, wow, I play all those. Do you do just blues and roots, or do you do hip-hop and things I don't play so I don't I, get those? I do everything. I do classical and jazz and folk. In fact, I've got 15 nominations this year. Oh, wow. Um, last year, the last time, or two years ago, when they the last had the, the Juno Awards, because they had to skip a year because of COVID, I had 24 nominations, ranging from hip-hop, this year I've got four artists of the five in the reggae category. I've got three in the um, traditional roots category. I've got a couple in the jazz category, a couple in the classical world. I, I work every style of music. I've worked with the Wiggles and Fred Penner for years oh. and years. And so for me, it, it's, you know, being a publicist was never about sticking with one style of music because I never wanted to limit myself 
for that, it's not really an advantage to be only known as a blues publicist or a folk publicist because, you know, look, and no slight to anybody who works solely in those industries. I totally get it. But there are so many opportunities that I'm able to get for artists when they are ready to transcend this musical genre, meaning that there's a lot of podcasts out there who would never say I'm a blues podcast, but I like blues music. So if they are doing an interview with a hip-hop artist or a folk artist or a, a music book author, it's actually my really pleasure and great opportunity to pitch them on other things that I think that they would like. When you're talking about specifically jazz, blues, folk, classical, and children's music, those five genres are, are some of the least streamed musical styles when it comes to music streaming services. It's almost regulated to an hour a week on campus radio shows or two hours a week. And I get it. You know, there's a very specific audience that loves it. But I think the problem becomes that now we're living in a world, thanks to the iPod 15 years ago, and now music streaming services, where people who like classic rock would love some of the new blues artists that would come along. People who love hip hop would love a lot of, you know, maybe the pop stuff that would come along. Look, when you and I we were back in high school, it was always like, there's the metal crowd, there's the hard rock crowd, there's the new wave crowd, there's the stoners, there's the reggae people. And we would never meet up. But now, thanks to these services and these streaming sites, you could be listening to everything from ABBA to Bruce Coburn to ZZ Top because it's all whatever kind of music you love. I wanted to not only live my life like that, but I wanted the company to be as diverse as possible because there's a lot of opportunity out there, whether you're a podcaster or like you to have a campus radio show to a daily newspaper to cover all sorts of different music. Because at the end of it all, Jim, it's just all about the story. You know, you can play a song on your radio show because you love it, but you need to kind of Build the time with other things, with the thoughts, with maybe how that song is written, maybe who plays on the record, maybe why that song over the other seemingly 9,000 songs that I'm sure that you're getting that week. So for me, the story behind the song, why should somebody write 500 words about you as an artist? Why should somebody talk to you for a radio show for 40 minutes as opposed to somebody else and it's something that publicists face every day whenever Kanye West does something amazing or outrageous everybody writes about it because it gets the clicks so these sites and these media outlets and these radio shows and these podcasters are not only wanting to survive but thrive and so for me it's all about the story behind why somebody wrote this song why somebody named the tour this, why they made their video this, why they chose to work with this artist for their, you know, the collaboration. So all of that transcends any kind of musical style possibility. It's all the same story. It's, it's that connection that we all feel when we're listening to a really great song.
I jokingly tell people that you and other people in, in your kind of business are the best friends I've never met. Do you develop a sense of knowing the people who do shows over a long stretch of time, people you send music to? Do you develop, I, I suspect you do, kind of a, a sense of them and their personalities? I'd like to say yes, and that's how I kind of grew up thinking that publicists were supposed to act. What happened was when the blogs came along, they allowed people to not be dictated anymore by record labels or publicists or anybody else what they should be promoting. Before the blogs came along, the only way for people like you or other radio shows to get music was either to buy it on your own, and that's a whole other issue, because then you had to really figure out who would have that music to begin with before Amazon. And then, if you found the music, most often than not, it was music that was sent to you, and that was the choice of material that you had to play with. When the blogs came along, everybody quickly realized that they were their own radio show, that they were their own influencer, that they were own champion for stuff. The only thing that I can really answer that with these days is I just hope to have a good enough reputation that people know that I won't give them crap. They know that I'm not going to give them something that fits outside of the style of music. Because if you're you are working at a television station in Victoria. I don't really care what kind of music you love as a producer or as a host of that television news program. All I know is that that artist is coming to Victoria. Not many people would sit down and listen to, say, Fred Penner unless you have kids. But when Fred Penner comes, the amount of people who want to do an interview with him because he's heading into their city is astounding. Because not only did they grow up with his music, but they know that people would be interested in watching a segment that Fred Penner is on. So in the blues world, you may love Chicago blues, but I know that if somebody is coming into your city and you're looking for something fun for the listeners to listen to, then you might be willing to do an interview with that artist, whether it's somebody like Steve Mariner or Sue Foley or Eric Bibb or somebody that's playing new blues or somebody that's playing old, 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 dirty, you know, Memphis blues. To me, it's really about making sure that the person on the other end of the email pitch or the phone call knows that whatever they want, I'm going to get it for them. I'm going to try to get them the interview as much as I possibly can if they're looking for you know, the music of this album that came out 15 years ago, then I can get it to them. So for me, it's not really about knowing what kind of music somebody likes. Because I work in so many different styles of music, it's impossible for me to know what anybody is listening to on a regular basis. All I know, Jim, is that you've got an amazing blues show, so you're going to get all the blues stuff. Now, if I ask you, hey, like, did you play this? Or what did you think of this? If you say to me, well, it's not my particular it's not my my particular love or not my style that I love or that I want to play it. Absolutely, you have every right to do that and I'm never going to hold it against anybody and it's not going to stop me from sending you the next one. So I think we all have this amazing power thanks to social media to be promoting whatever we love 
to promote, whether it's music or a film or a book or a TV show or somebody that's doing good work. When I was very young and was in high school, I worked for the local promoter, and everyone used to say to me, man, you got the best part-time job in the world. It must be incredible <laughs> to do, you know, uh, to see Roy Orbison or Victor Borga or whoever was coming to town. You know, it's neat, but this is a lot of work, and, and I think people look at your job and go, that's a great job, but it strikes me that it's probably pretty grueling. Do people not understand how much work it is, the people on the outside? <laughs> it, it, it's, it's amazing. You know, I, I think anybody specifically who works in the music industry would always hear a number of times a year, you've got the best job. You get yeah. to hang out with Justin Bieber. You get to yeah. go to the Juno Awards or what's the Grammy Awards like? And it's funny because we're not there as, as participants hanging out like an audience member. We're literally there to work and it is a lot of work look i have not in in my last 25 years i have not worked less than probably 13 hours a day on any given moment i think i've taken maybe four vacations that i didn't have my phone on nearby maybe less than a handful of times but i love it i'm working seven days a week from 8 o'clock in the morning until about 11 o'clock at night, and I love it all. I really, really do. I mean, music is my obsession. It's the most expensive hobby that I've ever had. You have to be able to take rejection a lot. And it's something that I never really thought about up until recently, was I could send out a pitch for a brand-new album of a rock artist to 1,400 people or... I'm working the international public relations for the Oceaga Festival in Montreal. My pitch went out to about 17,000 people. I think we got about 70 stories, which is amazing. I never, ever stopped to think about what happened to the other 14,940 people that said no. You can't think of it like that. All you can think about is, okay, maybe I didn't have the right angle. Maybe I didn't have a short subject heading. Maybe there's a couple of things I can try. Maybe, like yesterday, there was an artist who I'm not going to name, but, oh, you, you know what? I'll name him. Um, there's an artist named Rob Nash out of Winnipeg, and his new song is called This Is War. And it is his war on mental health. So Rob Nash has a great history when it comes to helping out teenagers in schools with mental health. And he's also a rock and roll artist. The original press release headline was Rob Nash declares war on mental health with brand new single, This Is War. That came out about two months ago. I would not be able to send out that press release now. No because of what's going on with the Ukraine and, the, and Russia. And, and I don't want to negate or devalue what is going on there by claiming that Rob Nash is declaring war on mental health. Even though that mental health is extremely important, I never want anybody to think that I'm riding off of the bad news of what we're all seeing and hearing every moment of our days for the last couple of days. So I have to tweak the headlines. That's always front and center to me is maybe somebody doesn't want to do it because they didn't connect with the headline of the press release. Or maybe the photos weren't great. Or maybe in some cases they only got an MP3 file 
to play on the radio instead of an MP3 file and a WAV file because right. we want amazing sound quality on the radio station. To some people, maybe just like a lower res file isn't good enough for them. So there's always sorts of reasons. I could never really think about that until I really sit down and think about, okay, how can I do better for the next pitch that's going to go out in a couple of days? Okay, I'm going to ask you some questions that I ask everybody, just, yeah. uh, and there's no wrong answers, and you can use one word or hundreds of words. It's up to you. Digital or analog? Digital. Digital? Wow, I'm amazed how many people work on music. Yeah, you know what? I don't, I, as much of a music fan as I am, I don't have a lot of vinyl records. I got rid of a lot of my CDs mm. a number of years ago. I donated them all to a couple of hospitals and music therapy trust funds. Once I got Spotify because mm. the, uh, and, and iTunes, because the ability to have 27 trillion tracks at my disposal was a glorious day for me. Yeah. So digital. Fair enough. Fill in the blank. Nice guys finish. First. First. Uh, Excellent. Always. Yes. That's it. You want to leave it at that? Yeah. Okay. They, they, yeah. We be, uh, They have to. Yeah. Because if not, then we are just all doomed for a lifetime of unhappiness, having a bunch of mean people win all the time. Yeah. Oh, that's a great answer. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Dogs? I have two. I have two shit dudes. Oh, okay. <laughs> that answers that question. I've lost the next page of questions, so which is not unusual for me. I'm supposed to go back in. I've done 101 shows from home, but I'm supposed to come back <laughs> into the studio soon, and uh, and uh, and I can just see me again trying to find pages and paper flying everywhere. Uh, it's easier to do at home, actually. It's an, a, another argument for digital. Oh, here we go. Now, after listening to you talk for a while. What if someone went, darn, I'd like to do that job. I'd be great at it. Uh, do you have any advice for anyone who wants to get started? Yeah, for sure. I interned at a lot of places. I volunteered my time on a lot of local and area music festivals, doing everything from publicity to stage handling to merchandise, just to get out there in the scene and, more importantly, to meet people. I know that the, this new generation of, of students don't, really look highly upon free internships but if it wasn't for the fact that i had zero experience to wanting to do what i wanted to do it allowed people to take a chance on me and i get it you want to get paid for your work but there are just still a lot of times when there's just no budget to do it. And why should you miss out on opportunity? Because you happen to have a couple of hours to spend hanging out and working at a music festival for me, it was really about the advice that I've always gave to people, which is just do it. Just do it. You want to be a publicist? Just do it. You probably know a couple of bands or a couple of restaurants or a couple of clothing stores or a couple of, of, of just local businesses who you might know, friends of your parents, friends of yours that could use publicity. Thank Google because the ability for you to look at 10,000 examples on how to write a press release and create your media database, it's all there. So just do it. And the great thing is nobody cares. Nobody's looking at you. Nobody's looking at me. Nobody's looking at you, Jim, to be the savior of the planet. So the amazing thing is that you can just do what you want to do and be happy and just do it. 
because if we all realize how little other people are actually thinking about us, I think more people would do the things that we'd love to do instead of fearing of rejection or fearing of being hated on somewhere online. You sort of answered this before, but if you can uh, build on it if you want. I was just wondering if digitization has made your job easier, better, more complete. It's made it definitely easier, but it's not so much on what I was offering. It made it easier because everybody else in the industry seemed to have gotten on board very quickly with digital files, meaning that if I was going to set up an interview with Sue Foley and she was in Austin, Texas, I'm in Toronto, the newspaper is in Halifax, but the warehouse is in Hamilton, Ontario, I could set up that interview and get them the files and the video and everything that they need to know, including the bios and photos, in a matter of two and a half minutes. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have to wait for the warehouse to get this information by fax or email and then mail out a physical CD, cross your fingers and hope that it gets there in the mail three weeks later, then calling me back and then saying, I love this CD, I want to do an interview. We can patch all of this out in like five minutes. The, the digitization part of it is wonderful, but it's only wonderful because the media got on board with it as well. There are still a lot of people who love physical CDs and we're happy to supply them with it. It just takes a little bit longer because obviously it's a physical product rather than here are the files. I've found since the pandemic, because I'm doing my shows from home, that I have to use digital files. It was sort of forced upon me whether I liked it or not. Yeah. So, and yeah. it's, and and it's, it's been different. Good. Like people, people still like holding things. I so do I. I like getting a, a copy of the CD in the mail or, or something like that. But, you know, I, I've done my radio show at home, I mean, since the pandemic started, and I have no reason to think that I'm ever going to want to do it outside of this place. Look, I've got a million followers on social media. I think I know three of them in real life, <laughs> and I'm okay with working from home and being completely isolated as much as I possibly can be. Just the amount of time I think that we all spent traveling and sitting in traffic and meeting people. And, and don't get me wrong, I still love talking to people face-to-face, -face, but you know, the amount of time I've saved since working from home has been astoundingly wonderful. Yeah, I, I found it, once I got the hang of it, I found it a lot easier. Yeah. I still have vinyl, I still go downstairs with and you know, blow the dust off of uh, some old Steely Dan album once in a while and, uh, and play it, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's uh, digital's very convenient. For sure. One of my big worries with blues and roots music is that they're going to develop into museum pieces. It's going to be the, you know, one band after another doing their version of uh, Smokestack Lightning or uh, something like that. And that young players don't get much attention. They don't attract as, as much publicity. Is there somebody new out there that you think is going to move blues and roots forward and should be listened to? I think it's not so much on the actual person that is. I, I think sometimes the problem is not so much on the people that are creating it, but how to actually get that music to the people. 
especially in the last two years where a lot of the music venues across Canada have been completely decimated and or have closed forever. A lot of these up-and-coming blues artists and folk artists and roots artists, they need a place to play. We still look to those three styles of music as seeing them live, as opposed to pop artists breaking it big and getting 30 million views from TikTok. There hasn't been anybody in those styles of music that's more traditional based like blues or folk music that have broken through on Spotify, that haven't broken through on TikTok. Country music has, but country music is not the Glenn Campbell, Dolly Parton, Merle Haggard that, that we kind of grew up on. Country music is blending a lot of pop. It's a lot of rock. It's a lot of hip hop, a lot of rap, because that's the blending of the styles of music that that we were talking about before, thanks to Spotify or or the iPod. So it's not so much on on me having a fear of these artists. It's just that I think that if you want to play blues, you can't only rely on the traditional places that used to be there in order to build up your stature, like a music venue. You've got to go on TikTok. You have to go on, on Instagram. And stranger things have happened. You know, look, sea shanties broke huge a year and a half ago. And people people like Stan Rogers were streaming 25 million times a week wow. thanks to a whole bunch of, like, teenagers that make this thing go viral. So, so, yeah, they just have to realize that no matter what kind of music you play, if you want to reach that new generation, you have to be on social media and do it well. At least have fun with it. Eric Alper, I want to thank you so much for taking some time and uh, being so good with us, as usual. Is there anything you want to leave uh, listeners with? Jim, you're amazing. You make my job so much easier. You make my job fun. Bless your heart and keep doing what you're doing because you are so important to so many people out there and we love the show. And thank you to all the listeners who not only listen to Jim's show but help support the radio station during fundraising and and their funding drive because it's people that are listening right now that help keep people like Jim and I working and the artists out there with them playing the music that we love to hear. Anyway, thanks a lot. Take care. Thanks, Jim. Stay safe.